Hey, I'm wrapping up an I Believe series, but I want you to know there's a few topics I didn't deal with, so you're going to probably see me popping in in the next 12 months and going, hey, I'm going to do a one-off on an I Believe, because if you pick them out, you're going, hey, you didn't talk about this, and you didn't talk about this. But, so I'll, I'll pop them in and out uh, over the next 12 months. But uh, today we're talking about last things, and we're not giving a, a long treaty on eschatology. I'm talking to you about a... a Something that helps every believer understand and stay balanced within their Christian life. Okay? Uh, Jesus came, and I think in, in the Synoptic Gospels, he talked about the kingdom of God, I think it's about 60 times or more. And, and when we talk about, you know, the church, Jesus talked about the kingdom. And it's hard because we have these misunderstandings on what is the kingdom. Some people have this understanding that, you know, the kingdom is, is the nation that we live in. No. And many times we think the kingdom of God is, is a, a sort of a, a space or a realm. And, and that, that sort of um, can mess the whole thing up too because Jesus said this, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. And then he taught his followers to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. And one of the things that you and I have to realize is, is that Jesus came and inaugurated the kingdom, but he didn't consummate the kingdom. There's this, there's this sense that we live in this age of the overlap where the kingdom is both now and not yet. And that's what makes it hard for us at times. Because we want to have all the kingdom now, but it's still not yet. And, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm flirting. Okay, so she smiled at me. Um, so, so we have this now and not yet of the kingdom. And, and one of the things I, I love about this theology is when you understand the now and not yet of the kingdom, it keeps you more balanced. It keeps you more healthy. It keeps you away from lots of cults. And what do I mean by that? I, well, this isn't a cult, but there was one very uh, popular um, uh, preacher who, had, who was uh, leading a, a, a movement, and he used to talk about I want to, you know, we pray that God would give us a cancer-free zone. You know, almost like you can have cancer, but when you walk into his church, your cancer goes away. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, if you had a cancer-free zone, it'd be like, you know, it'd be like, come on, and you get scanned and you get healed. But you know, the, the problem with that is the kingdom of God dwells in people. Did you know that? Because a better understanding of the kingdom of God is really this concept of kingship. And I was listening to this. this uh, they, so the, the uh, eschatology, the study of last things, they call this, uh, the theology that I'm talking about is inaugurated eschatology. It's this idea that Christ inaugurated the kingdom, but the consummation is still to come. And we'll talk about a bit about the, 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 the now. Why, you know, the, there is this sense of the now of the kingdom, that God does things. But why would I react against somebody saying, I pray, and we pray in our church that it's a cancer-free zone. You walk in our church, and 
you're in the zone of anti-cancer and it just gets eradicated. I mean, that's beautiful, isn't it? And, and we, we can say, well, in the kingdom, there's, there's perfect health, and so why not pray that? Why not believe that? And I, and, I, and I believe we don't believe that because the kingdom of God comes on people. It, it's better understood as kingship more than king space. There's these two researchers. I was listening to a podcast, a vineyard podcast, and one has their PhD in, in um, uh, religion. The other has their PhD in neuroscience. And they've set about studying healing and doing, uh, you know, they published their, their articles in medical journals, and they went to this um, ministry of this, this woman named Heidi Baker. I don't know if you've heard of Heidi Baker, but Heidi Baker has a ministry in Mozambique, and uh, she testifies about all these blind and deaf people getting healed. And so they, th they said, okay, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to go, and we're going to bring the audiometers, we're going to bring all the, the, the stuff, we're going to bring the you know, charts that people can, and they, they don't have to read, they can just make signs, and we're going to determine before she prays for them, are, are they deaf? Are they blind? And then we're going to test them after she prays for them. And, and it was really funny because they, they, she, they tell this story, they, dro they drove for this a uh, long way, and then they went off the beaten path, and they get to this village, and she shows them the Jesus movie, and after the Jesus movie, um, she's like, okay, uh, okay, just give me your deaf and blind, and, and they, it's just a few hundred people, and so they, they send them the people that are, are deaf and blind, and they're sort of laughing because, you know, sometimes people say, oh, the, these people are, you know, they're faking it and this and that, and the guy goes, no, no, they, this is a small village. They know if the guy next door can't hear, or they know if the person is, is blind because they, these are their friends, these are their neighbors. And, and uh, so Heidi, Heidi says, okay, go over here, and so these guys are doing the audiology, you know, they're doing the little test, can you hear this, can you hear that, and and they talked about trying to trick them to make sure they weren't faking, and they did the eye tests. And, and then Heidi said to him, she goes, don't, don't let them come close to me because they'll get healed before they get tested. And, and, and you know what I loved about that? Because they, then they described how she uh, healed them. They said she just prayed for them, gave them a hug, and they got better. They just prayed for them, gave them a hug, and then sent them back, and, and they said... Uh, uh, they had noticeable hearing improvement and uh, eyesight improvement. Some of them weren't 100%, but, it was, but those that couldn't hear could hear. Those that heard, heard some could hear better. And they, they saw this amazing results. But the point of me telling you this is she said, oh, don't have them come near me because I want them to get tested first, is that when somebody tells you they're praying for a cancer-free zone, I think, it's, I think it's wonderful. You can pray what you want to pray, but the kingdom of God is kingship associated with the spirit of God in people. In people. And so, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that pastor's heart wanting his church to pray for a cancer-free zone. There's nothing wrong with that. It just is not how the kingdom works. The kingdom works with people. 
And so the, the first thing we, we see, we see uh, in the Bible a number of things about um, the now of the kingdom. And one is that Christ inaugurated his kingdom. And the Bible speaks that it's a new era, a new time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. And he goes on and says, these things happened to them as examples and they were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of all ages has come. So if you lived in the Old Testament time, the Bible says that you longed for, you longed for the days that we live in. And it's hard to imagine that because we've been living in them for 2,000 years, Right? And so somebody says, oh, we're living in the end times. And I go, yeah, for 2,000 years. Because the, the, the Bible talks about this is the age where Christ reigns spiritually in the church and through his people, where his kingdom is a spiritual reality that will one day be a physical reality. And the book of Hebrews says the, the prophets of old longed to see these days. They longed to see these days. And friends, when we, when we gather to worship, there, there should be this sense of we are living in the wow of the kingdom. Like, oh my God. There should be this sense of worship that we are continuing in a kingdom reality that we can taste and see now, that we can experience now, but someday it will be all a physical and spiritual reality, and all we will do is just go, man, that's amazing. And friends, when you and I gather to worship, whether, you know what, you can turn every one of these instruments off. And we can gather to worship without one instrument. Without one instrument. Because worship is the turning of our attention and our affection towards the God that created us. And let me tell you, when I gather to worship, I, I feel like I have to, it's, it's like I am carrying, I pick up all this stuff. I don't know about you, but it's like all this stuff I picked up during the week. Do you feel that? You know, there's, there's families that I'm caring for and praying for. There's things in uh, my family. There's, there's concerns. There's, there's things, you know, that personally that you, you pick up. And, and you feel like you're, you're caring. How many of you pick up that stuff during the week? And you come into church, and, and when you try to focus on the, the God that's invisible, does that make sense? We're so, we're so occupied by all the stuff. I don't know about how you guys deal with that. And, and, it, and it's almost like I have, to, I, I have to do this passage, I have to give my cares to Jesus in order for me to truly worship God in abandon, I have, to, I have to go, oh, there it is. Here, you can have that one. You can have that one. You can have that one. Here's another one. And, and, it, and it's like, it, it takes a while for me to be unencumbered 
is it just me or do you guys have to deal with this too? And, and yet you just have to let it go because we forget that we're living in the age that the prophets long to see and imagine. The Bible calls it, it's like the age to come. There's a spiritual reality where it says the new creation has come. And what is, we get to taste it spiritually. And anything that happens in our heart and our lives that hinders us from this space of wow, we have to just let go. Right? Okay, I'm going to try something because you guys seem asleep today. So there's an old doxology, and I'm going to prove that you can worship just with your heart and your mouth. So if you know it, it goes like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's do it one more time for those that just learned it. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You can stand up if you want. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye. Heavenly host, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord. Isn't it good to worship? You see, another one of the nows of the kingdom is the resurrection and death of Jesus. I've told you before that one of the things I don't like about being a pastor is it keeps me close to death. It doesn't mean I'm dying any day. It doesn't mean I have a heart condition, although I think all of us have heart conditions, maybe not the, the physical heart. But it also reminds me of the gospel. It also reminds me of the hope of the resurrection. And to me, that is the best hope in the world. The hope that death is the biggest enemy. I mean, think about it. What does everybody hate? What? Come on. What do you hate? Death, right? Yeah. Why do we spend so much money on health care, vitamins, exercise, or feeling guilty about the lack of exercise? 
eating right or feeling guilty about not eating right. You know, this week my wife bought a tomahawk steak. Do you know how big those are? It's as big as a tomahawk. I'm like, she goes, I thought we would have a date night at home, you know? Like, okay, wow. That's the, you brought a cow home. Um, I said, I, I got through a third of my steak. I go, it'll make a good stir fry. Um, and I said to her, I can't, I can't eat like that every day. Why do I say that? Because our minds are geared towards, the, we have to watch that the way we treat our body, right? Because we're trying to delay something. Does anybody know what we're trying to delay? Yeah, so what's, what's up with that? One of, the, one of the most amazing passages in Scripture is the Apostle Paul talks about, I long to be with the Lord. He's basically saying, I long to die. And he's not suicidal. He's not suicidal. And he's not like, I've lived a really long life. I'm in my 90s and I can't wait to go home. He's a guy that had this amazing, intimate relationship with Jesus. And what he said is, I long to be with the Lord, but the Lord has me here for you. And I just thought, man, the resurrection of Jesus changed his life so that he longed to be with the Lord, but his life had purpose because he knew he was here for others. I told you about Dave that passed, and uh, I saw, I've seen Dave a number of times as he was uh, in hospice, and um, they, he went to a, a physical hospice uh, facility in Westlake, and I went and visited him, and he'd been in a lot of pain. And so he, he told me about the, what they were doing to treat his pain. He had some bone pain, he had, uh, cancer that affected his, his blood and was in his bones. And, and uh, he said, my pain went from eight to a four. He's in hospice, and he says, I think I can come back to work. I thought, I don't want to pop his bubble. What's the, what's the guy? Who, he spends, he's a counselor. He spends his life helping people. Says, I'm feeling a bit better now. I think I can help people. How many of you, if you were in hospice and your pain level went down would say, oh good, I can go back to helping people. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the ultimate hope over death. It's, it's the thing that uh, gives us what I believe is the best hope in the world. And, and before we move on, I'm, I'm going to have you tell the truth to the person next to you, okay? Look at them and tell them, you're going to die. Okay, Cody, you know, I just want, you need to tell me, I'm, you're going to die. Did you, did you know that? You're going to die. We, 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 
we don't want to hear those words, do we? We think about doctors telling us, but did you know when that little baby is born and you're holding them in your arms, there's no way out of this life unless you're here when Christ comes again, which is the cool one. Then you're changed in the twinkling of an eye. You're like, yay! But, but for most of us, we're going to die. And our spirits are going to go be with the Lord. And we're going to await the resurrection when Christ comes again. I read one time with, about neuroscience that, that our brains are, are, are like hardwired somehow to tell ourselves we're not going to die. We like push away from it. And I think that's got to be true. That's got to be true because nobody likes to talk about it. Nobody likes to think about it. In fact, some of you didn't even do the little activity I asked because you didn't want to do that because you had a hard time looking at somebody telling them they're going to die. Oh, that's just not nice. Right? But you're not lying, right? It's, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And, and this is the beauty of the now and not yet, the resurrection of Jesus Christ the one who won over death. And he promises the same hope to every one of his followers, the best hope in the world, that, that, that Dave, when he died, he is with Jesus. But we have the not yet of the kingdom. It's not yet here. And one of the not yet is what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord you're going to read about in the Old Testament over and over and over. And, it, and it's this idea that there's going to be judgment, that God's going to come, he's going to reign, he's going to set things right. Uh, we see it in the New Testament a, a number of places. I just gave you one in Thessalonians. He says this, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. You know, and Paul wrote to the church. Why did he write to the church in, in Thessalonians? We're going to be talking about Thessalonians. We're going to do 1 Thessalonians for the rest of the summer into the fall. We're going to dig into that book. Why did he write that to him? Because people were dying and Christ hadn't come back and he had to give the church an understanding of what, he, what happens when people die. How does this whole thing work out with Jesus coming again? And he had to unpack it for the church. And I'm so glad they had that controversy. Why? Because we have clarity on the subject. Because the church was struggling with it. He's coming again. Well, there's, there's a couple of things that are true, and they even say this in some of the, the services. Christ has died. Christ has risen. What comes next? Christ will come again. Say that with me. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Now, when I'll teach in the future on end times, there's a lot of different paradigms, right? People talk about, oh, this thing happened and this thing, and this means that and that, and they, they, they stir up a lot of fear in people, don't they? They stir up a lot of fear. And the people that draw the little maps and charts, you know what's wrong with them? They have to keep redrawing them because ha it doesn't happen like they think. Oh, this event is this event, and blah, 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 and then this event, and, and then they have to redraw it. One of the things I like about the concept of the day of the Lord is I believe, and I lean into the day of the Lord being a one and done. I'm going to cause some controversy here. 
why do I, I favor a one and done as opposed to a coming and going back and coming back and doing this. It does two things. One, it's one hope, one gathering. Two, the Bible says that he can come any time and it will be like a thief in the night. We won't know. We'll be unexpected. If you've got a, a sort of bouncy eschatology where he comes, then he goes back, then he comes again, it's like, okay, now, wait a second. Wait, how, do, how does that work? Does he, does he come? Does he, does he go back? And then, and then when you study the word, if you've heard, how many of you heard the term rapture? Yeah, and, and, that's the, and there's whole movies and things. Well, the, the term in, in, in Greek, it was this idea that there's a dignitary coming to the city and that a group of people would walk out to the city and greet the dignitary or the king. And they wouldn't go back to his kingdom. They would escort him, very much similar to Jesus on Palm Sunday, back into the city. And it talks about being caught up with the Lord in the air. And you come back, and there's a new heaven and a new earth. So I've revealed my hand. I, I favor a one-and-done eschatology because so, Christ comes again. And he makes everything new. And we don't know when it is. I had one guy years ago uh, teaching a little home Bible study, and he's like, he's like, the Bible says that, that, you know, um, you will not know the day of the hour. But then he goes, but I do not want you to be unaware, my brothers. And he goes, see, we will know the day and the hour. I'm like, what? Jesus just said, you will not know the day of the hour. But he goes, see what follows? So you will. I'm like, why do people do this with the Bible? Why did they do that? And I think it's because we want to control things. And part of being a Christian is realizing that I can't control a lot. But I can follow. And let me give you the last big picture here. Part of the not yet is the thing called the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And, and when you think about the Spirit, the Apostle Paul writes it this way. I love this. He says this. He says, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. It, this, this is the coolest thing. You see, you'll see it in Ephesians as well, is that, is that when you and I receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe there's many fillings of the Holy Spirit. I believe the Spirit of God and all the gifts are available to today. People will speak in tongues. They'll prophesy. All the gifts are available for today. But when we receive, we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. That's how new creation happens in us. You know, the, theologians call it, call it being born again, regeneration. It's like part of us was dead. And God comes and brings life. And friends, if you have never, ever, ever turned yourself and your life over to God, if you've never received Christ, that part of you is still dead. 
And it needs something from the outside. It needs those supernatural paddles to come and regenerate you. And that is what the Spirit of God does in believers when they turn to Christ. And if you've never done it, maybe you're watching online, it's simple. I mean, it's a prayer of saying, God, forgive me. I have messed up. And I want your forgiveness. I believe that, that you died a death years ago on the cross for my sins, and I want forgiveness. And I receive you now as my leader, my Lord, and my Savior. I turn my life over to you. And let me tell you, that's a dangerous prayer, because when you pray a prayer like that, God can come and grab a hold of your heart and your mind can regenerate, restart your life. The Bible calls it being born again. And if you've never done that, don't wait. Because what the Spirit of God does, I, I wanted to go buy movie tickets today, and I, I didn't get there because my day yesterday was really full and busy. But, but I wanted to give somebody like a, 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 a voucher to go see a movie. And why would I want to do that? I, would, I wanted to do that because I, I wanted to give you something tangible that you could hold in your hand that later you could redeem for the experience of seeing a movie, a film, a cinema. Because in, in some ways, that's a picture of what God does by his spirit. He puts his spirit in us, and the Bible calls it a deposit guarantee, a down payment. And that someday we'll get it all. I, I, when, I, when I grew up, part, Ohio used to have these, and other states have them. You ever see the guys that would collect the cans or the bottles that would have a little bit of worth, and you'd see them out? And did any of you ever do that as a kid, make a little bit of money? Yeah, you, you go and you collect them, you're like, hey, I got a few bucks. And as kids, you'd be like, I can buy some candy, you know, because everything in, when you're a little kid revolved around buying candy. Is, is that still true? No? Yes? So, to me, that's another picture of this deposit. It's like you pick up that can that doesn't seem like very much or that bottle that doesn't seem like very much, and, but it's worth something, and when you take it back, they give you what it's worth. Friends, the Holy Spirit is present among us, and God gives us his spirit. And if you're a believer and you're afraid of dying, you need to tap into the Holy Spirit. And I know some of you have experienced loss of family members, some are younger, some are older, and it, it is a deep grief. But do remind yourself sometime, they just beat you there. They beat you there. Because your neighbor told you you're dying today, right? And they, they just beat you there. And that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean it's not sad because this is all the life we knew. But, but they, they died in Christ. They have the Holy Spirit. They get the payoff. It's like, hey, I got a winning lottery ticket, and it's worth nothing but a piece of paper, but 
if I go and return it? I'm not justifying any, don't, don't take it any more than, I'm not saying go play the lottery, okay? Uh, I'm just saying it, it, it's like it's worth something. That's the Holy Spirit in you. That's the hope we have. He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Do you get it, church? So when we talk about last things, you always have to have the now and the not yet in mind. And, and I'm going to be leaning more, as we're finishing this up, into prayer ministry. Because one of the things I think that's, that's hurt a lot of churches is it's like we're going to come and we're going to sing some songs and we're going to worship. You're going to hear a message. And then we're going to go home. And, and did you know that that's not all church is meant to be? Did you know there's a lot of one another passages in the Bible? Did you know that when we say, hey, come forward for prayer, sometimes the most exciting thing for you or for me that God wants to happen is for us to show up and ask for prayer? I was listening to another podcast this week, and this would be the, the, I'm going to close with this, but, but this, this guy, um, uh, met, he was in another country. They were doing ministry, and um, he had met a, a pastor in America, and he asked this vineyard pastor, what do you think about praying for the sick people? What do you think about people getting healed and prophetic words? And, and he says, you know, my church doesn't believe in that kinds of things. And he, and, um, and he says, well, no, we think it's real. We think it happens. We think this is part of the church, part of our heritage. And the guy's like, well, I don't know anything about that. And so later he was in, he was in another country, and, and uh, he, he was actually even the same denomination that this guy was in, but in this country, people functioned in the gifts. And he said, what do you think about a pastor that never sees any of this stuff happen, doesn't see people heal, doesn't see, see, doesn't pray for people, doesn't even necessarily believe that stuff? And this, this pastor from this other country goes, well, then he's not a Christian. <laughs> he goes, what? He goes, if, if he doesn't see that, he's not a Christian. Because that's their experience. And if you study right now where the church is growing, it's growing through the charismatic and Pentecostal expressions of the church in all these parts of the world because people want to see God move. And as your pastor, I, I just feel like I've failed in this area. The other week I was taking a walk, I take prayer walks and, and I was taking a prayer walk and I really felt like, you know what, I should have just told people, if you have any physical problem, why don't you come for prayer? You just don't know if this is the Sunday that God's going to heal you. Because we live in the now and yet, not yet, so people do get healed, but we also die. But our job is to keep praying and to keep asking. Because we just don't know this could be the day. So we're going to end with communion, but we're going to end with prayer ministry. And if you have a need, if you have something physical, realize that the service isn't over. The Holy Spirit's saying, just, just shut up and show up, okay? 
Just shut up, take your fear, take your doubts, take your weirdness, just show up, ask for prayer. Something happens, great. Something doesn't happen, great. Just show up again and ask for prayer. Because that's our heritage. And I tell you, church, we're too proud to get prayer. Aren't we? Oh, I want to bother with that. We're too proud. I want to make ministry time the time that God wants for this church. Just lean in. Keep leaning in to the Holy Spirit. So let's take communion together and then we'll do some ministry time. The uh, passage I wanted to lean into as we take communion is this one. And, and when we take communion, many times we focus on the death of Christ. But there's this promise where Jesus says in Mark, he says, truly I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so there's this wonderful sense that God is, is Jesus was saying, someday there's going to be this feast. And we get to have it then together. Let's stand up and commune. If you don't have a communion, you can raise your hand. The ushers will come and bring you some. Um, so I want us to focus on, on not just the past, but on the future of the kingdom. That someday we will join in this meal, but we're not just a taste. It'll be a, it'll be a feast with Jesus when he comes again.